God. And uh, it's great to have so many of you here. And you'll notice that a number of the songs we're singing are focusing on creation. And that might seem strange when you hear that Mark's going to be preaching from Acts. But as he talks to, as Paul's talking to this pagan world, the thing he grabs hold of with them is God made everything. And that's something that's good for us to get into our heads, isn't it? That the God we worship is the one who made everything, who made us, who knows what we're doing now and is pleased if we come to worship him in our hearts. So our first song reflects that as we sing. Creation sings the Father's song.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that so many of us don't just come to you as the great creator, the power above all powers, the king above all kings, the one who made and controls everything and will one day bring everything to its close. We do come to you as that, but Father, we thank you that many of us can say that you are our Father. And Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you will help us to worship now. And Lord, we ask that our words will be matched by our actions. And Lord, we can only do that as your Holy Spirit comes and works in our lives because you know that so often we look for our joy, we look for our satisfaction in things that don't matter. Oh Lord, you know how easily we get selfish and distracted by getting our pleasure or our wealth or our fame rather than rejoicing that we have a father who is full of everything, who owns everything, who made everything, and who welcomes anyone who will come to him. Oh, forgive our foolishness. Change us, we pray, so that we love you with all our hearts. So that what we want is your name to shine out. What we live for is that people get rescued from the darkness of following their own lost dreams and come back to the Father and Maker and Light Bearer so that they may enjoy you forever. Oh, we thank you that you're a great King, Lord. And we pray for our country. We pray for a country where not that long ago the king summoned people to pray. Oh Lord, we are sad that the official voice is so far from that now where there are plans and instructions and designs to harm unborn children, to get rid of the sickly, to stop recognising the way we've been made, to silence the church when the church disagrees with the government. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll have mercy And we pray that you'll give your people boldness. Oh Lord, save us from being campaigners after causes and missing out on Jesus. Oh Lord, I do pray that you will give us a love for you and a love for your son and a love for people that point people to the one who is able to heal and forgive and rescue and give security in this very insecure feeling world. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll help us to 
live like that ourselves. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll stop us from being distracted by things that don't matter and help us to be more attracted by you. Oh Lord, we do thank you for this time of year and the opportunities that it gives to tell people about you. Oh Lord, we thank you that in our universities many students are planning to go to carol services where they'll hear the truth about you. Oh Lord, do, do help the Christians to invite their friends. And Lord, we pray that as their friends hear about you perhaps for the first time, Lord, that that will be your way of rescuing them. And we thank you for things nearer at hand. Lord, we pray that many people will come to our services, our carol services, and the family service. And Lord, we thank you that many people hope to come to the Holy Reef events. Oh Lord, we do pray that they will come, but we pray that it won't just be a good time. We pray that it will be something that is used by you to speak to people. Oh Lord, we thank you that we look forward to hearing your voice as Mark explains your word to us. We pray that you will give us ears to hear what is being said. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll give us concentration. We pray that you'll give Mark real clarity and that your word will come with power to us so that our lives are changed in some way because we've heard what our God has said to us. Oh Lord, we, we know that your, your word condemns and criticises the people who are, are like a man who looks in a mirror and straight away forgets what he's seen. Oh Lord, forgive us and help us to work at remembering what you're saying to us as of great importance. For you are of great importance. You are the great king. And Lord, we thank you that even though we are sinful, even though we are weak, we are allowed to worship you. And we pray that our worship will be acceptable, will come from our hearts, and will please our great King. Amen. We uh, stay on the creation theme. In our next song, as we sing, all things bright and beautiful, our good God has made them all.
Bibles to Acts chapter 14 and we're going to be starting to read at the first verse. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country and there they continued to preach the gospel now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet he was crippled from birth and had never walked he listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice stand upright on your feet And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, bought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, 
and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So Mark's going to be uh, teaching us from that after our next song, which is Man of Sorrows, What a Name. Let's join in singing.
Well, the message that we find in this book is good news. It's wonderful news. It gives life, and it gives light, and it gives hope. It's a book that has transformed millions of people's lives over thousands of years. It gives us answers to our deepest problems. It gives us a reason for living. It even gives us a reason for dying. In it is included the greatest love story that is ever written. And, and this book is for every person. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in your bank account. It doesn't matter what grades you've got in your GCSEs. This has the power to speak to you and to change your life. Because it's got the power of God behind it. Now I want you to think about the place where you live. For many of us, that's Crowborough. Uh, Some of you have come from further afar. In fact, we've got some from a very long way away. And maybe if you're watching online, maybe you live a long way away. But just think about the, the place where you live. I just want you to imagine for a moment that the message in here is spread around the place where you live. Maybe at this Christmas. It's Christmas, great time to get the the good news out. So let's imagine that, that this news, this good news, goes out to the place where you live. People are talking about it in the shops. They're talking about it in the streets. WhatsApp messages are pinging constantly with message about this message. Uh, People are chatting on the phone, so when you go for your dog walk, you hear people talking about this message. Let me ask you, is that something you would like to see? Is that something you'd love to see? And secondly, what will the impact of that be? What will the impact of that be of this good news going out into the place where you live Well, we can never predict uh, predict every uh, detail of the impact. We don't know exactly, only God would know that. But we do know quite a bit. We do know a fair amount of what would happen because this tells us. And also because throughout history, we see it repeated time and time again. This evening, as hopefully you've noticed, we're looking at Acts 14. And Acts 14 teaches us about this. And uh, if you're put off by the title, don't worry, it's nothing to do with complicated maths, so I hope that hasn't put you off. Uh, but in the, in the book of Acts, we see the, the message of Jesus spreading far and wide. And in chapters 13 and 14 of Acts, Paul and Barnabas, they go on their first missionary journey. And they seek to take the message of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, to the ends of the earth. That's what they're they're hoping to do. And so by jumping to kind of chapter 14, we're kind of jumping in the middle of their missionary journey. And I think this will be helpful for us to see it on a map. So I'm hoping you can see this. It's not the brightest in the world, but hopefully you can uh, see. You can see Cyprus at the bottom. Uh, Jerusalem is kind of down the right-hand side, uh, further uh, south. Uh, east off the, the map, so you can't see that, but uh, hopefully you get a bit of an idea. Obviously, that's the Mediterranean, so hopefully you kind of know geographically roughly where we are in the world. I know some of you have been to Cyprus recently, so you might recognise that especially. And, and here, where the arrow is, that's a place called Antioch. 
And this is where Paul and Barnabas start. This is where they sort of go off from. And, uh, and they go via Cyprus, and it's slightly confusing now, because they go to a place that's just off the top of the map here, also called Antioch. So they've left Antioch, and they've gone to another place called Antioch. Um, sometimes it's called Pisidian Antioch, uh, but hopefully that won't be too confusing tonight. And at the end of chapter 13, they get kicked out of uh, the second Antioch. So the, the Jews there, they kick them out, they don't like them. And so basically, they walk 90 miles southeast to this place. Hopefully you can see that, hopefully at the back. Uh, this is a place called Konya. Uh, it's in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Uh, but back then, it was uh, Greek, and it was a place called Iconium. Iconium. So, let's see what happens in Iconium. Verses 1 to 6a. This is uh, verse 1 of chapter 14. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So the first thing they do, Paul and Barnabas, is they go to the synagogue. That's the first place they go to. And they speak to the people there. there. Now, they're clearly gifted communicators. But they also have the power of the Holy Spirit behind them. And a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. You see, this is what happens when this message is explained with the power of the Holy Spirit behind it. There will be people who believe it. And it's exactly the same back then as it is now. In England, 2021, it's exactly the same because the Holy Spirit is exactly the same. There will be people who believe. Now, it is true, of course, that uh, Paul was specially chosen by Jesus to go out. Um, He was uh, given, well, he had very special gifts. Uh, God used him in incredible ways. We're not the same as Paul. We don't have the same calling as Paul. Many of us don't have the same gifts or academic ability that, that Paul had. But we do still have the Word of God. We still have the Holy Spirit. And God promises that there will be those who believe when this message goes out. There will be those who believe the good news. Jesus' kingdom will continue to grow. The number of Jesus' followers will grow more and more. They will multiply. Is that something you want? Is that something you strongly desire? Is it something you feel passionate about? This is what Paul wanted more than anything else. And as we go through Acts 14, we'll just see just how much he wants it. So, it's encouraging. There are a great number who believe. But there's also those who don't believe. And these people bring opposition. See this in verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. You know, there always have been and there always will be people who hate the gospel. They'll do anything they can to to twist what it says. They'll talk about it as being utterly implausible. And and the way it calls us to live, it's just implausible. They'll talk about it being uh, old-fashioned, outdated. They'll talk about God being unloving. Some of us uh, were here on Thursday night when the Christian Institute 
uh, came to speak to us about some of the, the concerns that Christians face today. And uh, this is one of the things one of them uh, said. He said, the gospel itself is a target for activists. The gospel itself is a target for activists. There are people who are actively seeking to destroy the message of the gospel because they hate it. So what do Paul and Barnabas do? As as the opposition grows, what do they do? Verse 3, so they remained a long time. The opposition grows, so they remained a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. They stayed there for a long time. Now they knew that there were going to be people there that hated them. They knew that, but they could also see that this was a work of God, that God was doing something here, and that they are being called to tell people about the gospel. And so they stay. And they also know that they haven't just been called to get converts. They've been called to make disciples. And making disciples takes time. Making disciples takes time, it takes effort, and it takes good quality teaching. That's what it takes, especially when the Jews are stirring everything up and poisoning their minds. It takes time. And Paul, he wants them to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has achieved for them so that grace can reign in their lives over every aspect of their lives and that they are not driven by law. And as they're teaching, God is authenticating their message by Powerful signs and wonders. He's saying, this is genuine, this is from me, God, Sam. But verse 4, But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. This is the impact of this book. It multiplies, but it also divides. It's a divisive book. Now sadly it can be very easy for us to be divisive. And it's not because we're sharing the message, it's because of how we're sharing it. It can be so easy, can't it, for us to be judgmental when we talk to people, or to hit people over the head, as it were, with, with the law. You know, when we, when we share the message in here, when we share the good news, we need to do it like Jesus did. We need to to be overflowing with grace and love just like he was. Because isn't that what we needed? When we first heard it, isn't that what we needed? Grace and love? We need to be like that. But even Jesus, with all his compassion, with all his love, even Jesus was divisive. And if we're sharing the same message as Jesus, then we will be divisive too. There will be those who believe, but there will also be those who bring opposition. Now at the beginning, if you can remember back that far, I asked you, what would be the impact? What would be the impact of this message on, on the place you live? Imagine it going in the shops, street corners, people are talking about it. Well, I hope you have the confidence to say, well, people will believe. People will be saved. And maybe when I asked if you'd love to see that, I hope you, I'd love it if you just said, yes, Lord. I would love to see that. I'd love to see revival. Wouldn't that be amazing? Imagine that in Crowborough. Imagine that in the places where you live. 
But maybe some of you who know your Bible, maybe you did imagine that, but maybe you also you thought about what the Gospel does and you knew that the opposition would grow, that hostility might come. Perhaps if you're imaginative, you might have even started to imagine some of the slander that might come our way. Or, or the, even the threats, the physical threats that might come our way. This is what happened to Paul and Barnabas. Verse 5, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra. Now, I'm very glad that we don't need to worry about stoning these days, but does the, does the thought of opposition dampen your desire to share the good news? The, the thought of things becoming a little bit uncomfortable for us. The thought of maybe um, losing a good friend because they simply can't agree with what you're saying. The thought of facing slander or ridicule or, or people twisting what you say or, or maybe people even digging up dirt on you. You know, I've, I've found this really challenging this week, thinking about this. It's really challenged me. You know, are we, are we so comfortable in our, our Christian life that, that we don't really want to do anything that brings difficulty? Life is nice and easy at the moment. The Christian life is, well, it's, it's great. So we, we don't want to risk doing anything that might make it harder. One of the, uh, one of the big uh, concerns that some people have about this whole COVID situation is uh, when it's over, if it's ever over, uh, when it's over, are we going to be too safe? Are we going to be too risk averse? Well, I haven't got the answer to that, but maybe we need to ask a similar question, those of us who are Christians. Have we become too safe as Christians? I had no idea John was going to say this this morning, but to quote John from this morning, and I hope I quote you accurately, um, something along the lines of, do we want to uh, just retreat and shut up shop in our shells of comfort and cosiness? Just retreat and shut up shop in our shells of comfort and cosiness. Are we too cosy at the moment? If we are faithful in sharing what God says, it will be divisive. You know, one of the things that's, that's completely amazed me uh, this week as I've been looking at it, it's amazed me afresh, uh, has been Paul's courage and determination to keep sharing the gospel. Whatever comes his way. I just found it remarkable. And I hope you'll be amazed too as we carry on in Acts 14 and see what happens to him. So Paul and Barnabas, uh, they have these threats and they flee and they go to Lystra, which is 20 miles southwest. So there you go, they go to Lystra. And this is verses uh, 6 to first part of 20. And what do they do? You can probably guess. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Unsurprising, knowing Paul. Well, at Lystra, there are very different reactions to the gospel being preached to them. There are disciples at Lystra. We'll see them very briefly in a moment. But there's division here too. 
And with the vast majority of people, there's an awful lot of confusion at Lystra. And it all starts off with us witnessing one of the miracles that happens here. We've heard about the signs and wonders, where this is one of them. Uh, Verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting uh, who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet! And he sprang up and began walking. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? I know we read these things regularly in the Bible, but something showed Paul that this man had faith. And, and this man, who was crippled since birth, he springs up and he walks around. Some of us find it hard to spring up and walk around when we've been sitting down for a while. This man has been crippled since birth and he jumps up and walks around as if it's the most natural thing in the world. But instead of everyone praising God, instead of everyone looking up to God and saying, wow, praise be to God, they turn to to Paul and Barnabas and they start worshipping them as gods. They think that there's Zeus and Hermes and the priest of Zeus, he goes and brings uh, oxen uh, to sacrifice to them and garlands, which apparently are sort of wreaths that you put on your head of someone you want to sort of worship or celebrate. And, uh, and there's some quite interesting background, actually, as to why they think there's Zeus and Hermes. I'm not going to go into it tonight, but if you don't know what it is and you're interested to find out, um, I'd love to chat to you after, so come and ask me. Uh, it's quite interesting why, why they assume that they were Zeus and Hermes. But Paul and Barnabas, they can hear everyone shouting, they can see the sort of manic excitement of everyone going on. It's all pretty dramatic. But because everyone's speaking in a different language, they don't really get what's going on. And it's only when the priest starts bringing the oxen to worship to them that it suddenly clicks what's going on. They suddenly understand what's going on. And they're horrified. And they run out into the crowd and they're tearing their clothes and they're saying, stop, we're just men. We're just normal people. We're just like you. Don't worship us. We're nothing special. And they go on to tell them about God. But these people... These people have never heard anything about God before. Not the God of the Bible. Uh, They're not Jews. They've got hundreds of gods, but they don't know anything about the God. So what what does Paul do? Uh, what, What does he say? Well, he doesn't do what he did back in chapter 13, where he did really quite a long speech and quoted a lot of scripture. He doesn't do that because it wouldn't mean anything to them. So what does he do? He points to creation and says, the real God, God made that. Verse 15, we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things. Notice he doesn't hold back. (laughs) He calls their gods the things they worship. He says they're vain, they're worthless, they're pointless is what he's saying. You should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. That's why we sang all things bright and beautiful. Because it very simply puts Paul's speech in in a song. He tells them that God is the one who is sending the rain. God's the one who is sending the harvest. This is the living God who has done all these things to satisfy them. Now this is a 
just a, a little bit of an aside, slightly from the theme tonight, but um, it may be helpful for us to think about. Now, you don't have to watch many TV quizzes to realise that people today, uh, many people today, know very, very little about the Bible. It becomes pretty obvious quite quick. So, how do we talk to people about God when they know so little? People know so little about the Bible these days. So, how do we talk to them about God? Well, each situation is different. And it's important that you're natural, that you do what's right for you. Um, But one of the things I love to talk about is creation. Nature, but how God created it. We know so much more than Paul knew. Paul looked at it and was amazed. And we've had so much development and we know more and more and it's just got more and more amazing. And this week I was looking at a website, it's called Cosmos, um, and there was an article uh, called 10 Technologies Inspired by Nature. And uh, when something's inspired by nature, it's called biomimicry or biomimetics. And I'll just give you one example that was on this website. It said, uh, inspired by the microscopic scales of shark skin, NASA scientists developed a drag-reducing coating for ships. The technology helped the Stars and Stripes win the America's Cup sailing race in 1987. I love this next bit. The coating was so successful, the competition deemed it an unfair advantage and banned the technology before later reinstating it. Don't you love that? They, they take inspiration from nature and it's deemed unfair because it's too good. At the top of the article, it had a comment. And uh, it was obviously meant to be tongue-in-cheek, this comment. But, but it struck me. This is what it says. It said, after 3.5 billion years of intensive research and development, nature has come up with some ingenious solutions. They give nature the credit. Random chance. <laughs> I, I love the fact that they talk about intensive research and development. They recognise the, the vast intelligence behind it and they miss out God. God is nowhere to be seen in, in their minds. Paul explains to us in, in Romans 1 that everyone who rejects God will face his wrath because creation witnesses to us of God. Says, so they are without excuse. All of us are without excuse. Creation tells us about God. So going back to Paul, uh, Paul tells them about creation. He tells them about this God, but they don't really believe. They're still desperately trying to, to make sacrifices uh, to them. But then the scene changes very quickly. Uh, Jews come from Antioch, and Iconium, this is a long old way they've come. They, they really want to get Paul. They've trekked an awfully long way. Uh, and they track Paul down and they persuade the crowd to turn on him. And, and these crowds, they go from wanting to worship Paul and Barnabas to stoning him. This is what it says, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Well, back in Iconium, Paul had been threatened by stoning. Um, He had escaped there, but he carried on preaching the good news, and now he has been stoned. And stoning was horrendous. 
Like they were big stones that were used. And it, it wasn't like Paul ran away and they threw stones after him and kind of one or two sort of got his leg and it was, you know, a bit painful. It, it was a horrendous way to, to kill people. Uh, and they, they batter him with stones and they leave him for dead. But I love this next bit. This is verse 20. But when the disciples, so there's the mention of the disciples, when they gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. Don't you love that? These people have come out of the city and they kill him and the disciples go out to him and he gets up and he goes back into the city. Probably quite a safe place to be actually because they all think he's dead. And then on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Let me just show you where Derby is on the map. So there's Derby. Now that's about 60 miles southeast. 60 miles southeast. So he is stoned to the point where they literally think he's dead. And the next day he trudges 60 miles to go to Derby. And what does he do at Derby? Nice simple question. Verse 21, this is now. When they have preached the gospel to that city, they have made many disciples. They preached the gospel to that city and have made many disciples. This is all it says about Derby. We don't get much more than this, much less eventful than the other two places. But here we see multiplication. The gospel going out, people believing. So, this is interesting. What does Paul do now? So he's at Derby, okay? And if I put this up, hopefully you can sort of see the route he's taken in the little bit that we've looked at. And uh, if you remember where the first Antioch was, you'll, you'll be able to see that he's now closer to Antioch, or home we might say, uh, than he has been at any other point for, for a long time on this missionary journey. So he's quite near home. He could go sort of around on the land or cut across by sea and and this is what we'd expect him to do he's preached the gospel he's been stoned, battered many disciples have been made let's go home what does he do? don't know whether you saw that you see the arrows change direction he goes back through the cities that he's just been at He goes back to Lystra and he goes back to Iconium and then he actually also goes back to Antioch where they got kicked out of at the end of chapter 13. There are people here who have tried to kill him. They hate him. Why does Paul go back through there? Well, he does it because there's a baby church that needs strengthening and that needs encouraging in the face of severe persecution. That's why Paul goes back, verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. He strengthens them, he encourages them, and he tells them, this is normal. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I heard someone say this week, it's not quite the sort of motivational quote you put on your fridge, is it? But it's true. 
tribulations. Uh, if you don't know what they mean, they're great troubles or great sufferings. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You know, if we're going to live out this message, if we're going to, to believe this message, and if we're going to faithfully share the contents of this message, then there will be division, and I can guarantee you that we will face tribulations. So we need to be strengthened too. We need to be encouraged. It's partly why coming to church regularly is so important. Because we need to be strengthened. We need to be encouraged. We need to be reminded of the gospel. Jesus says, doesn't he, in in John 15, people are going to hate you. But remember, they hated me first. People will hate you. But remember, they hated me first. Later in life, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy and he's telling Timothy about the experiences that we've uh, looked at tonight. And he says this, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. You know, this message, it multiplies, but it also divides. It's divisive. So think again about this message going out into the the shops of the place where you live, the, the streets, people talking about it on their dog walks, people messaging each other. Is that something you want to see now? Is it something you pray for? Do you want revival? We should. We should long for it. But it will come at a cost. Are we ready for that? The message of this book, I've said already, it is wonderful news. It is good news. And the reason that it can be good news is because Jesus first suffered incomprehensible pain and agony when he came down to earth and he gave his life for us. Remember when it talks about him setting his face? He set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. It wasn't easy for him. But he did it out of a love and obedience to the Father and out of a love for us. He laid aside his glory and he died the death of a criminal. He gave up everything for us. And so I just want to finish just by asking this question. Are we willing to give everything to him? It's something that um, has really challenged me this week. There's been bits that have really encouraged me, that just the amount of people that believe, that's greatly encouraging. But it has challenged me this week. And I hope it's done the same for you. And uh, let's pray now. Let's pray that, that... God would help us to, to love him more, to be willing to do whatever it takes to share his, his wonderful message. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you that the gospel is good news. And Lord, I pray that we would love to share it, whatever the cost, whatever the opposition. Lord, we thank you for Paul. Oh Lord, Paul loved you so much, Lord, that he didn't care how badly his body was broken. Oh Lord, for him it was an honour for you. And Lord, I pray that we would be like that too. Lord, that we would be like Paul. And Lord, even more, that we would be like Jesus. Lord, give us a love for your kingdom. 
and give us a love for the people around us. Lord, make us ready to, to serve you whatever the cost. Lord, we, we feel our weakness. We feel our love of comfort and cosiness. Lord, forgive us for the times when we've enjoyed it too much. Lord, I pray that as individuals and as a church, Lord, that we would be people that clearly shine Jesus. But Lord, we know we need your strength, so we cannot do this alone. So Lord, we pray for your strength and your help, the power of the Holy Spirit to be in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish by singing, and uh, this, this song just helps us reflect on, on Jesus, really. And uh, if we can go to the last verse, if that's all right. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's stand and sing.
Lord God, I pray that these things would take root in our hearts. And Lord, that we'd remember them. And Lord, that as we leave this place, Lord, that your message wouldn't leave our minds. Lord, I pray uh, that this would stay with us for the rest of this week. And Lord, I pray that you keep us safe, Lord, as we go from this place. Lord, we thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, I pray that our minds would be on you and Lord, that you'd bring us back safely together next week. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.